Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense, dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 35, Clash of the Champions 9. The New York Knockout. It's just New York Knockout. I added a the. It's okay. It's fine. You can add a the. Prepositions are fine here. I Yeah, I used to add thes into sentences unnecessarily as a kid. That's probably why I said you added the sentence, or the, the word to the sentence. Yeah, exactly. It's just so you know, your mild child dyslexia. I can, I can read a book. We're good. That's all that, that's all that matters. You can, you can read lefts and rights. I can read comic books pretty well. You can read stop signs. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's really the only thing you really ever need to read, right? Yeah, go when you, go when you need to go. Stop when you need to stop. Those are cutlers most don't, of the time. Yeah, hey, so. don't forget to yield. So Clash 9 was a program produced by the WCW under the banner of NWA. The event took place on November 15th, 1989 at the RPI Fieldhouse in Troy, New York. Which is now the Houston Fieldhouse? Or Houston, sorry. It's New I th- York, th- yeah, so it's I think Houston. It's Houston. Yeah. Technically, I, actually, what I read was that it had already changed names to Houston. But then on the pay-per-view... But everything said RP- RPI. Yeah. And I mean, they probably the, booked it early. And even the security guard still had RPI shirts on. Oh, yeah. Huh. So I was just like, if I say... Houston. Houston, I'm like... But everything says RPI, so let's go with RPI. The attendance for the show was 4,000 people and drew a rating of 4.9 on TBS. It was. It's another one of our... Non pay per view shows. Yeah. But it's four, it's four, some four point nine good for uh, you know, the late I guess that's early cable, right? It's early cable. A four point nine probably is I mean, nothing one, gets of the, a, is one of the higher rated shows nowadays. Probably. Yeah, I don't think anything gets a four point nine except for like I mean, I don't know, how's how's Dynamite doing? I imagine they're doing really well. I don't know what the exact I know they first show had like 1.1 million people but i don't know what, what the rating, i don't know what the rating yeah, was. i don't know what that means I don't really know what we have the, the information means. we're doling it out but just doesn't take, mean that take, we doesn't mean that we understand it no, no. we know how to say houston though that's right we don't say houston no we say houston so some things that happened around november 15th of 1989 the berlin wall would begin to be taken down where were you when the Berlin Wall was? Too, too young to remember. Sitting at home, <laughs> yeah. playing video games. Yeah, I, I was definitely uh, probably unable to know what that meant. I was, well, I guess I was like two. I was like, what were you like two, three years old <laughs> yeah, at yeah. this point? I mean, I was. It's, it's not one of those. I know it's one of those things where like a lot of people are like, oh, I remember that. There's plenty of normally they're terrible things, I guess, that I remember like exactly I mean, where I was when they. That's happened. the thing is that most but the Berlin Wall is a big deal people, so remember, like, people like, still remember are that. bad things yeah it's like my dad could talk about JFK getting shot I mean probably but for me it, it's it, like obviously in our lifetime it's more like Timothy McVeigh and I 9-11 remember, I remember that when I didn't live here but my grandma worked uh, in downtown uh, Oklahoma 9-11 also uh, uh, Columbine in so Columbine. That's a big one too I don't remember where I was at Columbine I don't even remember I just remember the day when I came home from school because I didn't hear about it 
at school, but when I uh, came home, like my parents were re-carpeting the house, so my like dad stayed home because somebody had to be there because they're like doing the whole house. And my dad was like, a bunch of people. I'm in like middle school, but he's like, he's like, man, a bunch of kids fucking shot up the school. Shit's fucked up. And he was like pointing on the TV, and I was like, ooh. And I, I remember that video of the kid falling out of the mm-hmm. window. That's yeah, really upsetting. Not a great way to start an episode, but like you know. The Berlin Wall was one of those moments that people, I'm sure that, like, my mom would probably remember. But maybe not. She was, you know, like, 30 and raising a kid. So maybe she was too busy for that. But a lot of people were, and it was a, it's a big event. Big enough for you to write this down. I felt like it was a momentous enough occasion that, and it's, it's not a, it's not really a downer moment. No, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's yeah, a, of course, I, said a, I let it become one. It's a very uplifting thing that, yeah. you know, because... It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. A birthday I found, Taron Egerton. Who's that? He played the, uh, I know we're going to have some listeners that are very upset with you right now. Uh, is he Is he, uh, is he hot? Is he, he's, he's, an, he's an attractive uh, gentleman. Would I recognize him? I, I'm going to show you a picture of him because okay. I, I thought you might not recognize him. But he's the lead actor from uh, the Kingsman movies. Oh, I've and, seen parts of And Rocketman. Rocketman? Rocketman, the Elton John biopic. Oh, yeah. I heard that one was actually okay. I didn't see it. It's actually a pretty good movie. Uh, it's, it's like, if you take... Yeah, I didn't know his name. If you take Across the Universe musical never, styles and a biopic and smash them together, yeah, it's kind of that. It's not like a true biopic. It's got like a... You, yeah, you remember you telling me it's got some like musical elements yeah, to it. Yeah, it's where very like They actually like break elements. out into song and stuff. Yeah. Which uh, sounds more interesting. I'm not a big... Uh, Elton John guy. No, I like Elton John biopics. I'm just over. Make me some. Make me a movie based on some shit that didn't happen. Damn it! Instead of one that's like loosely based on some shit that did happen, but like you know, round off all the edges and put it out of order, which is what they end up being. I think I feel like the boat has, the boat has like left the bay for that like quite a while ago. Apollo thirteen. Good, bad. Apollo 13, but I mean, I saw him as a kid, and I love space movies. Okay. So, like, but that one's about an event more than, like, a specific person. Yeah, okay. That's kind of my, like, I mean, we definitely don't need any more uh, Pearl Harbor First movies. Man, then. I didn't see that one. You didn't see First Man. Is that? That, that feels like a movie that would be right up your alley. Yeah. But I didn't you don't really, like biopics. I didn't hear not. much about it, and um, yeah. I think the director's, like, normally typically a more, like, artsy dude and it looked kind of like an Oscar, Oscar yeah, it's, grab it's film. It's Damien Chazelle who did La La Land and oh. Whiplash. Well, I still haven't seen Whiplash. I love La La Land. I think it's very good. It's definitely the worst of his movies that I've seen. I know I need to watch Whiplash. I like J.K. Simmons. and uh, J.K. Simmons is a great yeah. Whiplash. And uh, when somebody's really good at playing the drums, that's also cool. Very cool. <laughs> and they are very good at it in that movie. Uh, I got one more note here. I found that the weekend of this show... Five movies were released to theaters, mm-hmm. and I was kind of like, "These are kind of all could be considered classics in to, one way or another." In one way or another, or classics to certain people, to certain people, exactly. Not they're not like all the Godfather, no, but like no, you know, no. But we have All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh Don Bluth, probably one of the last Don Bluth movies that like people yeah, because Fible was earlier than this. So. Yeah, and there's like. Did, yeah. Did he, didn't he do Fern Gully? Is that a Don Bluth? Maybe. He had a problem with going through like a bunch of different companies. He just kept losing funding. But All Dogs Good Heaven, I don't remember if it's good, but I watched it a lot as a kid. 
I don't remember if it's good or not yeah. either, but but you remember, like, I say the name, All Dogs Go to yeah. Heaven, and you go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Like, yeah, also Rockadoodle was one of his, but that, that's later. I think that's probably a couple years after this. Probably. Harlem Nights, which is a uh, Eddie Murphy. Okay. Uh, I don't I think I've seen all that one. I think I've only seen parts of it. But... I mean, out of these five, that's the one that I have not seen. Yeah. We have Little Mermaid, oh. the Disney classic. I have a uh, very strong memory of being a little kid and Little Mermaid just coming out on VHS. And like either my mom bought it or something, but we went over to my best friend's house and we were all eating like McDonald's and like smashed the tape in there. But I don't think I caught that one in the theater. I would have been like, why would you bring a two-year-old to a theater? I think I did see that one in the theater because I was I was. I, I saw basically all the ones after this in the theater. And... Little Mermaid, I think, was always my favorite yeah. of the of that period of Disney animated like movies. Like Beauty and the Beast, and even Beauty the Lion and the King? Beast and Lion King. Yeah, really? uh, I, I think I think it's because it was the know, like yeah, it, just it was one of the first ones that I saw. Also, yeah. that's probably why. Um, a Christmas classic, I guess. I've never even heard of this. I was, I was I didn't even realize it was going to be a, a Christmas movie. Prancer. Prancer. It's is it, about um it's you about know a reindeer. Prancer the reindeer exactly. Does a reindeer talk? Do they put peanut butter in his mouth to make him look like he's talking? It's been so long since I've seen him. Like, do I remember? I don't think he talks at all, now that I think about it. I mean, it's more about... Prancer's a character, but it's not really about yeah, yeah. Prancer. Who's, uh, who's in it? Sam Elliott. Okay. And Gloris Leachman. Yeah. They were the two main... And then a young girl... Who hasn't done anything since? Hope she's doing all right. Hope so as well. <laughs> and then, uh, last but not least for that weekend was Steel Magnolias. Which is Steel Magnolias a sequel to Terms of Endearment, or am I just conflating that? I think you're just conflating that. Okay, maybe I don't know Steel Magnolia. Steel Magnolias did have. I know that Terms of Endearment I saw as a kid with my grandma, and I didn't know anything about being an adult, but I know that maybe movie made me feel real bad and sad. Um, had uh, Shirley MacLaine, Olympia Dukakis, Sally Fields, Julia Roberts. It was one of Julia Roberts' uh, okay. so this, first it, movies after Pretty Woman. I think it's got some of the same actresses, and that's why I'm thinking that. Or no, actually, I guess Still Magnolia came out before Pretty Woman, so maybe it was one of her. But I, know, I remember she got a nomination. Julia Roberts got a nomination for Best Supporting Actress. It was... Uh, even as a young child, I was forced to watch Still Magnolias many times over because it was one of my mom's favorite movies. So. Yeah, and it was like, I feel like I've had DVDs and rewatched them, but as a kid, like, even my mom would watch more tapes than she ever watched DVDs yeah. when it came to that. Like, she would, she had a friend that would tape, like, every episode of Dark Shadows and, like, give it to my, and then, like, give them to my mom because she watched it when she was a yeah. kid. And I think my mom would just, like, yeah, whenever me and my sister went to sleep, she'd just, like, throw in dark shadows and, like, probably smoke a joint or something. I don't know. Well, enough about movies. Let's get to the show. So, we get to see the cool Clash opening that we haven't seen in quite some time with the belts floating oh, across yes. the screen. I love the, this. I love this opening. And the electricity going yeah, through the belts They all, like, in different sizes, like, roll across the screen. It looks really good. And then we get a couple pre-recorded promos. Terry Funk says, I don't want your belt, I don't want your family, I don't want your money, I want something more valuable than all of that. 
I want your pride. What was he going to do with his family? <laughs> That's a, that was the weird one. It's like, I don't want your family. It's like, yeah, man, why would you steal somebody's like family? It's like, this is wrestling. I mean, this this isn't like, they, yeah, yeah. They steal girlfriends for 30 days. <laughs> I mean, that's true. <laughs> Rest in peace, precious. And then Ric Flair comes on. We're not talking about belts. We're not talking about women or cars. We're talking about something both you and I have held higher than anything else in our careers. That's our pride, our integrity, and that's guts. So both these guys, they're, they're talking the same language yeah. here. It's blood feud like Ric Flair's not doing his, like, you know, party guy thing, really. No, he's very serious. This is a, this is a war yeah. that he's going into tonight. And then we get the logo of Clash of the Champions with the New York knockout um, on the screen with a theme song. And then Jim Ross and Gordon Soli welcome us. And preview the show. And we head off to the first match. Oh, also, just saying, it's an I Quit match later. It is an I Quit match. They definitely let us know. They don't, they don't spring it on us last minute. But uh, Gordon st- Soley and, and, and JR let us know that it's going to be an I Quit match. You know, the famous uh, match style that involves a microphone in it. <laughs> yes. Which is always kind of, kind of funny. I, I'm going to say it right now. I have never been a fan of I Quit matches. It's weird. It's very weird. I mean, we've seen like we've really only seen one so we've far. We've only seen one so far I mean, in, it's, in our run here. It's good. We've it was seen, good. but it was very, very horrific. In more modern times, I hate modern time. I quit matches. Is what I should say. Yeah, I don't even know the last time I heard of one or saw one. Because it's, it's it's just like you're not quitting. The only one that I can ever think of that was really good was the Rock Mankind one. Oh, uh, was that one? That one was on television right that was like super is that the one that's in beyond the mat yes yeah yeah Oof, yeesh. it's like man here we are they laid in it's like you you can believe somebody's saying i quit after those unprotected headshots but the first match of our of our clash of the champion show we got the fabulous free birds of michael p.s hayes and jimmy garvin versus the road warriors of hawk and animal with paul ellering uh the the very useful paul ellering <laughs> He's very useful. We rolled our eyes as we said that. Uh, the stage for the Clash of Champions. It's fucking spent the big money. It's like it looks like a what, fucking like Molly Crew concert. Fourteen <laughs> feet up off the ground, like yeah. these huge stairs. Every single step has like a series of lights on it, and there's like a huge, the huge like square lighting rig that's got like fucking forty different colored lights all over. It seriously looks like a Def Leppard show. It's it crazy. So, I was always like, "Damn!" So this WCW, is like... <laughs> thumbs up on the production. Yeah, they got some. They got some. Uh, some Ted money. And the Freebirds are announced as the World Tag Team Champions, but this match wasn't for the belts. The Steiners had actually won the belts at a TV taping that wouldn't air until the very next weekend. Yeah, but it like happened like in early November. Yes. Like November 1st. I was curious, I was like, so a TV taping and there's like belts one on a TV taping? And here we are with like this, you know, they really they move those tag belts around just Yeah. However they want. If there's to. any belt you're going to move around like that, I feel like the tag ones are the ones to do it. I mean, it's kind of like back in the day they used to just do them on house shows. Yeah, just like, so I mean, why? just so it it's always feels good to see belts change hands, even if it's even if even if you're gonna change it back the next night. Yeah, it feels good, and it's, it feels like it's easier to do with a tag belt because 
it's not the heavyweight belt. If you're throwing around the heavyweight belt like that, it doesn't it loses some of its meaning. Tag belts, there's four people that can take a pin. So like nobody really it's not really gonna follow them to like continue exactly. to lose it in that way. Yep. So Hayes and Hawks start the match off with the Road Warrior tossing PS to the ropes. Hayes escapes out of the ring before any damage is done, but Emil grabs PS on the outside and military presses him through the ropes into the ring. <laughs> we get a big boot to Hayes, a clothesline to Garvin from Hawk. A free bird suck chant begins. Yeah. I'm so glad we have a crowd that cheers for the right people. Yeah, I mean, like, the f- the Freebirds were, like, babies on the last show, right? I've been Hills for a while. But I feel like there was, recently, there was some... Some cheering of, of heels. Well, the last show, of Halloween Havoc, yeah. that entire crowd like just chanted for they were the heel, heels. They were just a heel crowd. They were a heel crowd. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to chant for P.S. Hayes. He's so great. Hawk press slams P.S. Animal with the right hand from the apron and a flying shoulder tackle from Hawk. But Hayes is able to get to his corner. Garvin's tossed the ropes before being drop kicked by Hawk. A double team back elbows by the... Road Warriors. Garvin hits a vertical suplex, but Animal no-sells and hits a clothesline. Now we got an LOD chant. You know what bothers me? Tell me what bothers you. They're already called the Road Warriors. Why are they also called the Legion of Doom? I hate it. I have no clue. It's like, I know that there's there's no good answer, but it's like, their names are Hawk and Animal. They are the Road Warriors. But yet they are also the Legion of Doom. I feel like you just gotta pick one. They'll pick one soon enough. <laughs> yeah, I know, but just like it's, it's weird to me. Like Legion of Doom is a, is a good Better name. name. Is a good name. I Road like Warriors Legion. is uh, the thing is like oh like we're ripping this from a movie. Legion of Doom, I can't I can I don't know a name of a movie named Legion of Doom, but there might be. But it definitely wasn't as popular as Road thing Warrior. Is what the Justice League faces off in the comic books. Yeah, but no, no, there's no movie with you know. I guess Mel Gibson's not a Justice huge star League. Yet. Movie back then. No. There's not one now either. <laughs> it, it exists, man. Don't watch it. Hayes with clubbing forearms across the back, tosses Animal to the ropes, hits a back elbow, but the Road Warrior no sells, hits a clothesline and a flying shoulder tackle on PS. Hawk and Hayes trade wrist locks for a moment before a Road Warrior clothesline. Animal sends Garvin to the turnbuckle, charges in, but Jimmy moves out of the way. And the Freebirds begin to double-team Animal as Hawk tries to make the save. But the ref is in the way and helps him back to his corner. Hayes, with chops and chokes, continues the double-teaming. And Hawk keeps getting stopped by the ref. Hawk's just finally tired of this ref. Yeah, he's pissed. He hip-tosses him away while Garvin (laughs) tosses Animal over the ropes. Hawk starts throwing down on the Freebirds with right hands, a double noggin knocker, big boot to Garvin, clothesline to Hayes, Animal back in the ring to help with a double-team clothesline of Hayes. But the bell is ringing, and the winners are the fabulous Freebirds by disqualification. Because you can't hip-toss the ref, man. No. Sorry, Hawk. No, you can't Yeah, can't do that. So schmoz. We got our, our first schmoz finish. Who knows why they did this finish? It, I mean, Road Warriors aren't going to win the belts of the beat on the first match of a show. They can't have the Freebirds win oh, the match yeah. because technically they're saying the Freebirds are still the, the champions. Warriors are the champion or the Freebirds are still the champions. But they're technically not. But 
It's just they don't want the Warriors to take yeah, a loss. Either, it's just that only like you know only like two thousand people know. <laughs> like a couple weeks ago, right? Jim Ross then has Terry Funk and Gary Hart at ringside for an interview, and Funk says. Flair and I aren't very much alike, but they do have one thing in common. A love for professional wrestling. I think that we probably have more in common that, than he thinks. Probably. <laughs> and then Hart basically starts yelling at Funk, telling him to, Don't embarrass Texas, and don't embarrass me. Get out of here, Hart. Like, Terry Funk's gonna try to, like, do, he'll do everything he can to not embarrass Texas. Like, and I, and I, who are you, Mr. Hart? I don't think that he wants to say I quit. Yeah. I have no no need for Gary Hart. We didn't get an ad We need for... a Gary Hart, Paul Ellering I quit match. <laughs> Just so I have one less of them. I think them. Paul Ellering would probably win that one. Yeah, he's... Uh, he, he's, he's a little bit bigger. Yeah. Why are, why are neither of them wrestlers? They both look moderately like fit. They both used they both, to be. Yeah, but they don't look that old either. I guess maybe just an injury. Injury, they are better talkers. and They're better talkers? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Okay. okay. I have no clue. All right. We didn't see an ad for Starcade 89, Future Shock. So, and we'll cover that show here in a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, Future Shock's a really bad name, and I like it. Also, I'm excited it's for... It's not a bad name. It's just not a good name for 1989. Yeah. I mean, based on all the 89 WCW and WA stuff we've seen... I'm super excited because Starcade's the big show, and we've already seen like I can't imagine there being many more like flare runs this good. I agree. Just based on all the shows we've watched almost in a row, it feels like. Jim Ross then introduces Bill Apter to present a few awards, and he presents the most popular wrestler of the year, which was voted on by fans of P- uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated to Sting. Of course it does. Look at him. I love that Sting comes out in a leather bomber jacket and dress pants, but he still has his face paint on. Oh, he's he's got a fight later. Does he have to fight Wait, later? I don't know. He doesn't have a match on this show. But he's Sting. Like he's got to have the makeup on, right? Yeah, he. Does I mean, have even that. like even later in his career, when he does the like much later in the career when he does the crow thing, he's always got the makeup on. Yeah, he. I just think it's funny that yeah. he has it. The just him with the jacket and the dress pants. Yeah, and then and then the face paint. You know what a real shame is, is uh, that Sting today still seems to rock like a terrible soul patch. It's like, man, just shave that off your face. You got a strong enough chin, sir. <laughs> and then Bill After awards the Wrestler of the Decade, which was voted on by the editors of PWI, to Ric Flair. Duh. And give them both these trophies. They're, they 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 look like they look like, um, like store bought trophies. They look like, like little league trophies. Yeah, where it's like the uh, two cylinders and then a, a plank and then one cylinder and then like a guy swinging a baseball bat. Yeah, exactly. We all got them at the end of the year. When we were Participation kids. trophies. Yeah, yeah. We then go to a pre-recorded promo with woman. And she says, Doom is going to rule the tag team division. And she has a large surprise for Rick Steiner. And let's just say that this is going to sound really bad. We love woman. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're going to say. She should probably keep her mouth shut and just look pretty. <laughs> Wait, what? Is... <laughs> I hope you're not was... referencing what I think you are. No, just <laughs> okay. one woman's not good at promos. No, but she's fun. She has a good look. But, uh... 
Yeah, and then Sully goes on to say... <laughs> I love Sully's line. She's an evil person, but she sure is pretty. And just the way he says it, it's like, yeah, man, we get it. Yeah, she's she is pretty, you're right. <laughs> it would have been really funny if he was like, rough promo, <laughs> but she sure is pretty. <laughs> Me and Sully get it. Yeah. We then head off to our second match. We got Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Wildfire Tommy Rich. Oh, Wildfire's back. Yeah, <laughs> I think he might have a better showing here. Versus Doom. But I don't remember, <laughs> so we'll find out. And technically, they still haven't said that who Doom is, but we know who it is, and it's Ron Simmons and Butch Reed mm-hmm. with Woman. It's just so funny that her name is just Woman. It could be Girl. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, you know, she's a woman, but it's just, yeah. We had Precious. Yeah. We had Baby Doll. But those are like, those are like, um pet name somebody would give like a significant other but Have like you've not been in the south people call <laughs> people say yeah, Woman, <coughs> bring me that beer but they don't mean it in a nice way <laughs> but i guess she's that's also not a, true but she's a heel manager it's a it's a term of endearment to some I, people i don't i mean i've only i've never seen it in person as a term of endearment i've seen it in movies and it doesn't seem like a term of endearment but Simmons starts off this match overpowering gilbert but hot stuff tries for a schoolboy roll-up which only gets a one count Gilbert's starting to use his quickness, ducking a clothesline, sliding under Simmons, and delivers a face plant and does some strutting. Rich with an arm drag takeover into an arm lock on Reed. Oh, but, he sounded bored. <laughs> Sorry. But Butch tosses Wildfire to the ropes, misses a clothesline, leapfrogs Tommy, and goes for a hip toss, but Rich reverses into a hip toss of his own. Reed with a side slam and a vertical suplex. Hey, we get the return of the suplex from Gordon Sully. Oh, yeah. Simmons lifts hot stuff over his head and drops him on his own. Like a backbreaker, but using his head instead of instead of the leg. Did, did you see that? What was it? Like, Simmons, like, went for a backbreaker. Like, mm-hmm. he had him up. Yeah. But then he, like, dropped him on his head. Oh, okay. Instead of dropping him on his knee. <laughs> Why? Because he has a harder head. I guess so. Because you know, if you're if you're not white, then your head's harder in wrestling at this point in time. Doom's working over Gilbert, high knee, rabbit punches, a swinging neck breaker, but Hot Stuff is able to crawl between Reed's legs to make it to the corner for the hot, hot tag. Riches in with right not hands. Not our hottest hot tag. Elbows to the top of the head, shot to the gut, back body drop on Reed. Simmons is in, but Gilbert fights him off. Another elbow to the head from Wildfire to Reed, but Butch reverses an Irish whip to send Tommy to the ropes, who comes back with a Fez press, but he's caught by Reed. Simmons then comes off the top rope with a clothesline for a doomsday device for the pin and the win. The Fez the press looked better this time. It did look better. I mean, granted, he got caught in it, but like, it still looked better. And he only did the arm drag into an arm lock once. I remember it more than once, but I believe you. Well, maybe he did it more than once, and I just fell, <laughs> and maybe like, I fell asleep. But... Uh, the, yeah, he did his little dusty bow. I mean, it's probably his bow and not Dusty's, because he's obviously older than Dusty. Yeah. But I know it from Dusty. But it was a better-looking Fez press. It was a better-looking Fez press. Unsuccessful. Or was it? Because I mean, it ended did, the match. It did, yes, that's true. We then see the ad for the Starcade 89 again. They're, they're trying to get this show over. I mean, they got to. They have to. There's going to be a lot of commercial breaks, and we're 
gonna we're gonna spam Starcade. It's their it's their big show. They have to. Jim Cornette is then introduced to interview the Steiner brothers in a Louisville Slugger segment. Yeah, what is that? I have no clue. He's from, Corn- he's from Louisville. Okay. That makes, and he I got slugs you. people with his racket? Yeah, sure. Louisville Slugger? Yeah. Sure, why not? We'll go with it. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine Jim Cornette switching to like a, uh, like a baseball bat. That's not good. That's not a good look. No, definitely not. Jim asks Scott about his finishing move, and but Rick interrupts saying they were watching a scary movie, and everybody was doing a weird face, and and then everybody was doing a yeah, weird right. face when he oh. does that move, so I think we should call it the Frankensteiner. It's like, you know, when you hit people and they and they go, ah. <laughs> and that was me wincing my face when I go, ah. ah. And, uh, Matt probably still doesn't agree with me, but I love his, his dumb, his, his just playing it up for dumb. I liked I, this dumb better. Really? I like the other one better, but this is, like, because we haven't get to see him talk for a while. But, like, it felt like they were laying seeds for, like, Scott being annoyed that Rick... Yeah, definitely that happened, for sure. And I was just yeah. like, we know that's not something that happens, so it's just like... I mean, maybe it was an idea. Because we haven't, we've seen way more Rick than Scott at this point. Yeah, definitely. But we'll see a lot more Scott than Rick over the course of... Our lifetimes. Makes me sad. Scott then says, we can suplex anybody, including the skyscrapers. And then they're they're asked about woman. And Rick says, my mother told us to never hit a lady, but you ain't no lady. <laughs> it's so funny. And then he, I had it, but I don't want it. Yeah. He, I loved it. I loved the promo. So we head off to our third match. We got the dynamic dudes of Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas. Versus the Midnight Express of Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane with Jim Cornette in a neutral corner. Who is prettier, Miss Elizabeth or Jim Cornette in a neutral corner? I mean, you mean woman? No, I mean Miss Elizabeth. The only two <laughs> matches we've had with managers oh, with in neutral, neutral corner. corners. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, uh, obvious, obviously, Miss Elizabeth. But I don't know. I wouldn't mind talking to either of them. I wouldn't mind sharing a beer with either of them. But I mean, you're gonna. I'd rather share a beer with Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. I would get tired of Jim Cornette real quick. I don't know. I feel like I can listen to him talk forever, whether I agree or not. Can't stand in half of what he says. Really? So we see Ace. Uh, the dudes are coming in. They have their skateboards again. Ace actually rides his skateboard for a second. Oh, I didn't catch that. Must be must be practicing in the back. Yeah, no shit. I mean, what else are they gonna do on all that cocaine? I'm 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 I don't know. Johnny Ace, maybe he's a clean cut guy. Who knows? You know his talking voice today. It's pretty gravelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His talking voice sounds like Tommy Rich looks in this match, in this previous match. So Cornette sits down in a chair in the neutral corner. Yeah, why is he in a neutral corner? He's like, I'm just so picking a team. Cornette had started managing the dudes, like, to help them out, basically. Did and we, that, we didn't see any of that, did we? We didn't see oh, any okay, of that. Okay. And the Midnight Express kind of basically got upset about it, and... They signed a match with the dudes. They weren't down for some like Cornette family heat exactly. and family style thing. They, were, like, they weren't down for pick a side because they basically were like Cornette spending too much time with the dudes and not enough with us. And they yeah. started losing and everything. So they were like, Cornette, you gotta be in our corner. And so they signed this match. And Cornette's like, I'll just, I'll chill, just be here in the corner, that kind of thing. We'll see if that lasts. So the dudes look to shake hands with the Express, but they're turned away. And Eaton goes to convince Cornette to be in their corner, but he refuses. Oh, can we talk about 
the the midnight's uh, sparkling robes. Of course, go ahead. They just look like um, pink and silver. It's like gay Mortal Kombat. I mean, no offense, but it's like seriously like like disco gay Mortal Kombat, and it's kind of cool. That's all I got. Match starts, and beautiful Bobby tosses to the ropes. It's placed in an ab stretch by Douglas, reversed into a hammerlock by Eaton, which is reversed into a hammerlock by Shane, back elbow by Bobby, and then running the ropes into an arm drag by Douglas. They show the number for the NWA Wrestling Hotline on the screen, and I wrote it down. Should we call it and find out what they if they still? I'm they're sure. Still a I'm sure it's still around. Maybe we can at the end if we remember. Eaten with a blind tag before being tossed to the ropes, laying leapfrogs Bobby before a hip toss by Shane, who follows with a drop kick to Eaton and another arm drag to Stan. And this starts good. It's like, oh, cool, a fucking wrestling match. Hell yeah. Douglas and Lane with back and forth arm locks, step toe takedowns until Cornette jumps on the apron, saying Stan used the hair, which brings in Ace. While the ref is getting Johnny out of the ring, Shane with a small package for the pin, but the ref starts the count late for only a two count. It's good, smart stuff. Lane's tossed to the ropes by Ace, who delivers a drop kick and a scoop slam. Eaton tossed to the ropes by Johnny, who leapfrogs, delivers multiple drop kicks, and a baseball slide to send beautiful Bobby to the floor. It's a nice little run. Douglas comes in, runs the ropes. Ace holds the ropes down for Shane to hit a flying plancha on Eaton on the outside. I know. It's like some some big shit. We haven't seen a, I feel like we haven't seen some like real big shit in a minute. I mean Pescado's about the only thing that we've really seen yeah. Lucha's style, and then we get a flying plancha. I mean, we, we we got that, like, Guerrero match a long time ago. Yeah. There was bananas, but, like, that's... Yeah, we, have, we haven't seen a whole lot of stuff like that. Back in the ring, Lane hits a back suplex, goes for an elbow drop, but Douglas moves, who hits an arm drag into an arm lock. But Sweet Stan escapes with a knee to tag in Bobby, who receives an arm drag into an arm lock as soon as he comes in. Eaton with strong right hand, sets Shane up on the top rope, goes for a superplex, but Douglas floats over, grabs Bobby for a schoolboy pin attempt, and but then jumps on the second rope for a flying crossbody for a two count. And this is like what tag matches should be. All the time. It should always be like this. Both teams with the quick tag, some double team moves. Beautiful Bobby tries to Irish whip Ace, but Johnny holds onto the ropes and reverses for a hip toss and a monkey flip of Eaton. Ace goes for a head scissors takedown, but Lane with a cheap shot to knock him off. Sweet Stan then kicks Johnny, a Russian leg sweep. The Express goes for the rocket launcher, but Ace gets his knees up and makes the lukewarm lukewarm tag. tag? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was like the most like. Oh, okay, yeah, we'll tag. Luke Shane... tag sounds like about as, uh, it sounds a name a name similar to Taron Egerton. Luke Warmtag. Like, literally, tag Shane in, Shane just kind of, like, takes his time getting into the ring. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, I was I was caught off guard by it. It's like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing right here, man. Come on, Shane. It's always, that does happen sometimes on these older shows. It's like, you can't, you can't be in distress and get the tag even if like it's not one of those long like drawn drawn out like built up hot tags like yeah. you can still be it can still be a a like warm tag it doesn't have to be a scolding hot tag but that was a lukewarm tag it was it was a very lukewarm tag 
Douglas does get some right hands, a back body drop to Eaton. Fireman's carry suplex, but Lane breaks up the pin, bringing Johnny in to brawl with Sweet Stan. Beautiful Bobby's wrapping his hand with a chain. Cornette's out of his corner coming to see what is going on. Shane with a back body drop on Eaton, causing Bobby to drop the chain. Cornette then jumps in the ring to grab the chain and admonish Eaton, tells Douglas to get him, and then whack Shane with the racket, and Bobby makes the cover for the pin and the win. Jim ends up celebrating and walking back to the locker room with the Express. Could, could Jim Cornette be behind anybody else but the Express? It was Express? all a ruse. Of course it was. Like, yeah. He's Midnight Express until death. I bet he has a Midnight Express, like the MX uh, little thing, just tattooed over his heart, over his over his little cheeseburger nipple. You think so? Yeah. I mean, if he I, has any I, tattoos I, at I all. I don't want to know. I mean, you know, I think it'd be a pretty funny picture. <laughs> I'd look. Maybe only once. Oh man, I'd look. I'd look if there was. If that oh, was. Yeah, okay. I'd have to look. At, if that was real, we'd have to be looking at it right now. I can't imagine. I'm not googling it. Jim Cornette's titty. Yeah. You don't want to Google Jim Cornette's titty. There's many people on this card that I'd rather see. <laughs> I mean, most of them already have their shirts off. Exactly. <laughs> so we head off to our fourth match. We got the Super Destroyer versus Doctor Death, Steve Williams. And everyone's wondering who Super Destroyer is. Me, me as well. It's Jack Victory, who we've seen as the replacement for the original Midnight Express and uh, okay. as Russian Assassin number two. Right. So they basically just changed his mask and was like, eh, we're going to give you a new name. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. The other one of the Express was missing. We gave you a moment. Exactly. I remember that now. I was like, who is this guy? The match gets started and we see a not-so-jolly Santa Claus making his way to the ring. Santa Claus hands something to the crowd from his bag while the Super Destroyer is beating on Williams in the ring. Santa Claus shows us who it is, but since it's 1989, I wasn't sure who it was when he like pulled the beard down. It was like it was like supposed to be a big reveal to me, and I'm like, I have no clue who you are. Yeah. Destroyer with an who was Irish. It? You don't know. We'll get to okay, it. Okay. Okay. Destroyer with an Irish whip, but. Dr. Death reverses for a shoulder tackle, goes to run the ropes again, but is thrown from the ring by the Destroyer. JR calls Santa Claus Norman, while Williams is back in the ring with multiple presses of Super Destroyer before dropping him to the mat, followed by a clothesline to send Super Destroyer right onto a table at ringside. Destroyer walking it off on the outside, but Dr. Death follows him to bring him back into the ring Hits the Oklahoma Stampede, bum, bum, bum. which is a running power slam, yep. for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post-match, Santa... The Oklahoma Stampede looks sick, by the way. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know what I have a, my biggest issue with Dr. Death is? What is your biggest issue with Dr. Death? Jim Ross. Just putting him over like it's going to fucking save both their lives every time he's on screen. Because he's got, you know, that Oklahoma football boner. It's like, you know, whatever. Like, do your thing. But it's just, like, so obvious. And maybe it's even more obvious to me because uh, I'm from Oklahoma and I know how much he loves, you know, the college football team Mm -hmm. and all that. But it's just like, dude, shut up. Let me enjoy Dr. Death. It's very possible. But, I mean, I think it's pretty noticeable. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you notice it as well. Oh, I do. Post-match, Santa jumps up in the ring and and hands Williams a teddy bear, and they hug. Aww. What's in the teddy bear? It's just a teddy bear. A bunch of drugs? 
So Santa, that sounds more like a like a Rick Steiner type of thing, where it's like, oh, he's simple. Basically, kind of what it is. Santa is Norman the lunatic, who has been led around by Teddy Long with a key. A key to the city. Now, a I, key to Doctor Death's heart. I couldn't. Re- I don't remember what show it was. Yeah, but I remember Teddy Long having a key. Yeah, it was like I think it. It was like right after the like heel turn, where it had the the, the show that had the double uh, the like war the double games. ring, Great yeah. American Bash. I think it was Great American Bash. Okay, that's what show I thought it was too. If it wasn't that one, it was the one before. But I couldn't remember exactly. But Teddy had a key, and we were like, "What What's is this key?" Yeah. But this is why he had this key because he led Norman the Lunatic around because it was the key to his. Cell at the mental hospital. Oh wow! You gotta shoot. Super, you gotta. You gotta shoot vignettes for this stuff, guys. Like you know, mankind doesn't I'm go over sure, without vignettes. I'm sure it probably was all shown on their weekly television hey, stuff like maybe that. Maybe we should look at some of this and see if how terrible it is. But no explanation at all. I mean, yeah, it's like I mean, I guess maybe the TVs they did some stuff with Teddy Long's like I got a key and it's gonna be crazy. But that's who Santa was. The teddy bear was his friend, and te- I guess Steve Williams had actually helped him at some point and like saved his teddy bear. And so like this was this was, yeah, this was like, Norman basically. You know how we were talking and, about how like NWA has been doing better at telling storylines. I had no idea what any of this was at all. What it was was a Doctor Death Steve Williams squash match. Is what it was. <laughs> that's, I mean, I got that part. I totally understood that. That's all that I got out but, of it. But, I mean, too. I kind of like the fun thing about Teddy Long, you know, going to Arkham Asylum to let out Santa Claus with a bear <laughs> to, like, hug Dr. Death, the last guy that you would assume to hug anybody. Like I said, I have no clue, and it... I almost want to look into this, but I'm, I, scared, I'll be, I'm scared I'll be as disappointed I and doubt, confused. <laughs> here's the other thing. I doubt any of this ever comes back up. Oh, I mean, probably not. I'm just curious if... Like if there was any vignettes with with like the lunatic with like Teddy they Teddy Long they like didn't do vignettes back then they just did interviews in front of a yeah but I just in front of a yeah wall. I guess so but I would just love to see Teddy Long like teasing that this giant gold key is to like let a lunatic out of a out of an insane asylum. Let's head off to our fifth match. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> the skyscrapers of Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey with Teddy Long. Yeah, keyless keyless this time. He's already used the key. Yeah, he, Versus the Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner. So Scott comes down the ramp by himself as Rick is coming through the crowd throwing out popcorn. And he's got like a pink hat on. Rick would steal Teddy's hat when they get in the ring and the crowd starts chanting it long, Peanut Head. Yeah, we know who that's for. His bald, bald self. Yeah, I mean, Teddy Long is not the most wonderfully shaped head. Spivey starts us off with some hard left hands before sending Rick to the ropes. Tries for a back body drop, but Steiner floats over and attempts a German suplex, but Danny holds onto the ropes for a second, but Rick finally gets him over. A Steiner line sends Spivey to the floor, and the crowd is barking away. It's hard for me to do. Yeah, I guess that's how you do barks. I want to. I want to bark in a crowd for. I mean, the, usually, for usually I think rough. Rough, rough. rough, rough yeah, but, but they were. Rough sounds It's almost like a gorilla sound. Rough is like two like little kids sounding. You gotta you gotta make sure that they can hear it in the menu. Rough. 
Yeah, I can't even do it. Bring it out. Yeah, rough makes rough. me feel. Now it's woo woo. I mean, that sounds more like a dog than rough. Dan tosses Rick to the ropes again. Steiner tries for a crossbody, but is caught and is dropped with the pile driver. Rick tosses to the ropes again, but comes back with an elbow to the neck, a Steiner line, and makes a tag where Scott sends Spivey to the ropes to deliver a Frankensteiner. Bye. Sid jumps in the ring, and Scott delivers a fallaway slam. And it was a vicious-looking fallaway slam. <laughs> it it looked like both of them like landed on their heads. It was. And there's also a really nice peanut head sign in the crowd. After the skyscrapers regroup on the outside, Vicious sends Scott to the corner, charges in, but Steiner moves, and Sid hits shoulder first on the turnbuckle. Rick jumps in the ring, which allows the skyscrapers to do a double-team move, where Spivey goes for a dropkick, while Sid hits a clothesline. But Danny misses the dropkick completely. I know, it sucks because it would have been so cool. <laughs> it was a cool idea. Can't win them all. Spivey sends Scott to the ropes, grabs him into a pile driver position, but then just ends up side slamming him down to the mat. Big Boot from Danny attempts a suplex, but Scott reverses it into a vertical suplex and clothesline to take Spivey down. Yeah, JR made a reference to the, the late Bruiser Brody, which I thought was uh, kind of, you know, a thing to point out. Yeah, we did the, the chest and the point. I think it was the, the, you know, after the Big Boot. Scott finally makes it to the corner for the hot tag. Rick in with right hands, a flying Steiner line, power slam to Spivey, double team clothesline to Sid to knock him on the floor. All of a sudden, Doom number two, which is Butch Reed, has yeah, jumped I, in I, the I ring. I have a hard time numbering them. And Scott hits another Frankensteiner. Hell yeah. They're a, just trying to, they just send him in there to put the Frankensteiner over? <laughs> belly to belly suplex on Danny by Rick, and the ref calls for the bell. Everybody's brawling as Scott followed Reed to the Florida brawl, and Vicious has joined in with that fight. Simmons has jumped in the ring to begin brawling with Rick, but Steiner hits a clothesline to knock down Doom number one. Woman gets in the ring and hits Rick with her heel, but he no-sells the hit and starts <laughs> to stalk Woman. All of a sudden, a really tall guy gets in the ring to protect Woman. Uh, yeah. Spivey and Simmons hit a spike pile driver on Rick while Reed and Vicious are working on Scott. This is crazy. The Road Warriors. <laughs> this is all crazy. The Road Warriors then come down to the ring and everybody's brawling away and the crowd is going crazy. Yeah. As we go to commercial. We got like the beefiest of boys. All the beefiest boys in the ring right now. Is there like like what is going on? Yeah, like the only the only like the only more beef they could send out there is like maybe Doctor Death. Like holy shit, they're all there. So, couple what fun, happened? Matt? Couple fun, <laughs> couple fun notes first. Well, not so fun, but notes. The, oh, they'll be fun. We'll the very fun. tall guy that came out. His name is Nitron. Is that where they get Nitro? I later doubt on? it. <laughs> but he's better known as Tyler Maine who is more well-known for being Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie and Michael Myers in the two Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Oh, I don't know if I know what this guy looks like. I mean, I've seen the first Rob Zombie Halloween movie, but he wears a mask. He wears a mask. What I don't he looks remember like in real life, he looks more like Sabretooth. That's the, about the only time that you... I don't remember Sabretooth uh, in the first X-Men movie at all. I mean, it's... Been a while. So. It's definitely been a while. The other note that I have is 
Vicious, Sid Vicious took like two bumps in this entire match. The fallaway slam and the running into the turnbuckle. Yeah. During one of those two bumps, uh-huh. he punctured a lung. Oh, that sounds disgusting. Is he like already hurt or something? How do you puncture a lung? Does that mean something went through it? He hit it so hard that his like, like lung like mm-hmm. broke or something. <laughs> yeah, like. I imagine it like popped a hole like like a tire in an old jo- in like an old jalopy like Mickey, uh, Mickey Mouse cartoon. But he is out of action quite some time after this. What until he shows up in the WWF? Yeah, he shows back up in WWF. Okay, yeah. damn. So yeah, those that, two like, yeah, like that's that. I imagine that hurts real bad. He but, did. You're right. That, he took. But because of that injury, uh-huh. it will lead us down another path that we'll get to in future Is shows. Is it a pass of less resistance than Sid? Because, <laughs> I mean, Sid's the biggest of boys. Well, let's just say that there's a certain superstar that would have never gotten his big break if not for this injury. But we'll talk more about it in later shows. Oh, I feel like, like maybe like a Kevin Nash? No. We'll get there. Okay. Don't worry. Vader? Throwing teasers out there. Make you come back. I know. Future episodes. I'm, I mean, shit. I know you'll be back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want you, the listener, to be back. So Jim Ross is at ringside after the commercial, and he has the Steiner brothers and the Road Warriors there. They're all yelling about something. God knows what. But basically, it sounds like at Starcade, all of the four tag teams are going to face each other. Like a four-way tag match? Maybe. I mean, I guess that's they better. Don't, they don't really explain it. We'll get more information maybe later. Show, yeah, show up in three weeks or whatever when we cover that. So then we get to our sixth match of the night. It's Flying Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger. Hell yeah. For the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. Hell yeah. And actually, this is where we get a little bit more information about, well, the, we about Starcade. Yeah, we also get some... There's a lot of fireworks. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's all there's kinds. Of I mean, this, this is a, a, a flashier show. So Jim Ross actually starts talking about Starcade, and he mentions an Iron Man tournament that will take place between Luger, Sting, Great Muda, and Flair. Yeah, all the cool guys. But I also was like, did he just give away the ending of this match and of the main event by saying that? Sure did. Sure fucking did. Sure the fucking fuck did. Like, even if I'm just watching it, like, not knowing what if, happened. Even if you're not being a, 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 yeah, a big dumb mark. Yeah. I guess if you were a big dumb, you know, mark in the traditional sense, you would have not noticed. But, uh... It's just like, Jim, yeah. like... If you weren't smarking it up, it's like, yeah. Exactly. Like, this isn't the Monday Night War. We're not giving away finishes. So we get a slow start with lots of stalling, taunting the crowd by Luger. Lex is tossed to the ropes. Yeah, Lex really slow goes this one. Pillman with multiple leapfrogs before delivering multiple drop kicks to send Luger to the floor. As the ref is calling for a break in the corner, Lex with a pair of cheap shots tosses Flying Brian to the corner, who flips up and over a charging Luger, and then clubs the unexpecting Lex, who retreats to the outside. More cheap shots back in the ring by Luger, but Pillman fires back with chops and floats over on a back suplex attempt, goes for a schoolboy. But Lex holds onto the ropes, so Flying Brian charges in with a clothesline that Luger ducks to send Pillman over the top rope. But he holds on, skins the cat mm. to get back in the ring, 
and deliver a spinning heel kick. Yeah, Pillman fucking rules. Did Pillman just like watch Steamboat, Steamboat video yeah. and yeah. just go, I, I do. I can do that. Does. Yeah, it's like I've got. I'm like twice as strong as that man. <laughs> like Pillman is ripped, so all fucking hell. I mean, if you're gonna have a someone to emulate, yeah, might as well be. Why not? Might as well Steamboat. be the boat. Um, I know. Like I'm more familiar with like this flying Brian Pillman than like later Pillman, but his later Pillman has fucking great with all this shit. To be honest, you kind of missed that boat. Saw like the very end, end like the of... beginning of that feud that obviously didn't happen because of his passing. Yeah, because so. I've seen that stuff, but I hadn't seen a lot of the like matches and going back. I'm like, this fucking guy, holy shit! I know. And then also, yeah, supposedly he can talk. I'd seen those uh, off, like you know, when he's doing the more wild character. Like I'm like, oh, like if he was doing this shit. I mean, obviously, he'd be doing. It wouldn't be. This is more babyface style stuff, but like. I'm just saying. Yeah. What did we miss out on? We're not going to miss out very much longer. <laughs> Lex with the Irish whip to send Flying Brian to the corner. Charges in, but Pillman gets a boot up, goes to the top rope, and hits a missile drop kick for a two count. Flying Brian working on Luger's arm by yanking it over the top rope, slamming it against the ring post and the guardrails. I love that it's for a reason. Because torture rack, guys. Like, come on. Thank you. Back in the ring, Lex tosses Pillman chest first into a turnbuckle, followed by a back suplex, a, then press slams Flying Brian to the mat multiple times, hits multiple elbow drops, but Pillman begins to fire back before Luger tosses him through the ropes to the floor. We get a double axe handle followed by a body slam on the floor, brings Brian back to the apron to give clubbing forearms across the chest and a vertical suplex back into the ring for a near fall. Yeah. Is there many things better than a vertical suplex back into the ring? It's one of the best. I guess outside of, like, a deadlift German back into the ring. Sure. <laughs> Which is just, just a deadlift German. <laughs> in general, yeah. But, yeah, but a deadlift German back into the ring is probably one of the few things better than just a regular old suplex back into the ring. Luger starts arguing with the ref when Pillman grabs him from behind for a small package roll-up for a two-count. Lex power slams flying Brian, calls for the torture rack, but Pillman tries another small package for another near fall. The two men are trading blows. Brian's running the ropes, ducks a phantom clothesline, then ducks a real clothesline, and hits a flying clothesline. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so good. Flying Brian Irish whips Luger to the corner, hits a back body drop, goes to the top rope for a flying body press, but he hits the ref as well. So there's no one to make a count. Oh, yeah, I was calling that the, the full body clothesline. <laughs> they got like flying shoulder box and stuff like that. But. Pillman tries to wake the ref up, but Lex comes from behind with an axe handle, tosses Brian to the ropes, attempts a back body drop, but Pillman floats over and rolls Luger up, but there's still no ref. <sighs> a drop kick sends Lex to the floor, and Flying Brian tries to wake up the ref once again. Luger grabs a chair while on the floor, and when Pillman reaches out to grab him, Lex cracks the chair across the head, Yeesh. then rolls into the ring Yeesh. for the pin, the Man. ref is there, and the win. win. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it doesn't. I feel like it doesn't destroy Pillman because he lost by 
chair. By chair. Yeah, so. and like he got to do big shit. He looked like a bad. I mean, he had he had visual pins on Luger multiple yeah. times. Yeah, and he looked like a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Like he did badass shit. Luger even, yeah, Luger looked weak multiple times. Looked weak enough. It's good. Smart shit. It's very smart. Good, good smart shit. Post match, Luger continues to beat down with the chair on Flying Brian before picking him up into the torture rack. Sting then comes running into the ring, so Lex drops Pillman, and Sting's checking on Brian while Luger takes the mic. And he says, Hey Sting, it's about time you had the guts to meet face to face. Sting responds with, I've overlooked what an arrogant snothead you've turned out to be. <laughs> snothead is really funny. Sting then slaps Lex and rips his shirt off, which JR calls the ultimate insult. Which also looks really funny because he's got like his shirt off, but he's wearing dress pants with like a single stud like punk belt. <laughs> it's not even a double set. It's like it's like a thin like dress belt that's been studded. Sting is telling Luger to bring it, but Lex exits the ring and walks away to the back. But Sting comes running down the aisle to attack Luger. But Lex wants none of it and makes his way to the locker room. I I did like that the the crowd was pretty split on Luger and Pillman. I mean, Luger probably gets more pops as a heel than he ever did as a face. <laughs> yeah, but like at first, you know. But, but Brian, but Pillman's just hard not to root for. Yeah, it's I mean he's doing all this amazing shit and like he looks great. Yeah, it's like how do you, what how like. It's like, nobody can tell me to boo that man. How are you booing that guy? He doesn't give anything to boo about. JR then sends us to some pre-recorded comments from Ric Flair. And it was a, it was a great promo. Didn't, yeah. Didn't say a whole lot, but the main thing he basically said was... Got the was, intensity across. Yeah. is basically, he says, if he says, I quit, he will retire. So he's basically putting his career on the line. Yeah. Says, yeah, they all talk about how they're the, one of the greatest. And we're headed off to our seventh match. Terry Funk with Gary Hart versus Ric Flair in an I Quit match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Funk's music, as he comes out, sounds very Morricone-esque. Oh, did they not do? Smatch. No, Funks, not Flair. Oh, Funks, oh yeah, okay, so yeah. Because no, yeah, Funk is the Western Yeah, music. yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, I have no clue who, what the music is or anything like that, because I didn't look it up. But no, yeah, it just, but it's... It very it's spaghetti sp- western Definitely very spaghetti western. Unfortunately, get out of here, Gary Hart. Why can't Funk just come to the ring by himself? We'll soon find out why. I know, I know. I just want competition, man. So Terry takes the mic before the match and gives Flair one last chance to quit before it even starts. But of course, Flair says no. Of course, we get we, we gotta have a match. We get big, we get big, big, big intros. I always like the intros. I know we get straight into the matches, but like, there's big fireworks. It looks cool. Blah blah blah. I'm not saying anything, but the set was nice. Yes. we talked about the set. Match starts, Rick ducks a clothesline and delivers a chop to send Funk over the top rope to the floor. More chops from Nature Boy tosses Terry back and forth from turnbuckle to turnbuckle until Funk can escape the ring, but Flair follows him out. More chops out on the floor, but Terry runs away to slow the momentum. Back in the ring, Nature Boy grabs Funk with a single leg takedown, begins choking Terry until an eye rake 
and Funk has Rick on the apron, hitting stomps, chops, and headbutts. Terry, with lots of left hands, elbow to the head before throwing Nature Boy to the floor, rams Flair's head on the guardrail, takes the mic, and starts hitting Rick with it. (laughs) Natch fighting back with chops, and the two men re-enter the ring, where Funk delivers some more left hands, mounted punches in the corner, and starts yelling at the ref, Bring me the microphone. And then he starts yelling at Flair to say it, Flair. Say it. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good Say it. Good enough, Funk. I like it. Until Nature Boy hits an inverted atomic drop, chops, tosses Terry to the ropes, but Funk holds onto the ropes, hitting a neck breaker on Flair. Terry's slapping at Rick until Nature Boy reaches up and starts choking Funk, hits a knee, multiple chops that send Terry to the floor. Funk's trying to get away, but Natch keeps following on the outside with chops. A head slam into the guardrail. Flair even tosses Gary Hart out of the way. <laughs> Nature Boy takes the mic and is yelling, You say it! You say it! All while choking him before being distracted by Hart from the outside. Funk is up, hits Natch from behind. A swinging neck breaker starts story time about Flair's neck. As he's like literally... You remember, you remember oh, yeah. your injury. Remember when I did this before? That kind of thing. Yeah, Jr. There's some point in here, probably a little bit early in the match. Jr. sets up the figure four versus the uh, the pile driver. No, versus the the toehold. Oh yeah, that's right. Back what is the what is it? The what toehold? The um, step toehold, spinning toehold. Spinning spinning toehold. Yeah, versus the spinning toehold. Which is kind of interesting because it's like oh, pile driver versus figure four doesn't make any sense because. The One's a hold and one's a, you know, power move. Yeah. The ref is asking if Rick wants to quit and he says no. Terry no. hits the pile driver in the middle of the ring. And again, the ref is there to ask. Leg drop from Funk, slamming Nature Boy's head on the mat before tossing him to the outside. I love the fallback, like, fucking pile driver. Until someone gets hurt. It's so nasty. Yeah, until somebody gets hurt. I mean, like, I don't want anybody to get hurt, obviously. Terry hits a pile driver on the particle board covered ice, but Flair won't quit, and Funk uses the mic as a weapon again. So, like, the outside, so the, the arena is mm-hmm. actually an ice rink. Oh, Jesus. And they covered it with particle board, but then they didn't lay down a mat oh. on the entryway, and that's where they hit that this pile driver at. That's disgusting. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, there's no ice under there. We're like... Or maybe there is. It probably is. That's still there. Because, I mean, it is November. Yeah. So Fuck. it's 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 hockey season, so... Jesus, man. We get clubbing forearms, elbows to the top of the head, and flares thrown out of the ring again by Terry. Funk body slams Nature Boy on a table at ringside, but flares firing back with chops, head slams on the table, throws Terry onto the table, who does a head-first slide across it into a guardrail. Gary Hart goes to check on Funk, but Rick drags him away, hits an elbow before attacking Funk again with chops and crotching Terry on the guardrail. We get a running knee drop, inverted atomic drop, begins working on the flag. Chops and right hands to knock Funk down. Terry tries to escape down the entryway, but Nature Boy jumps on him from behind and hits a shin breaker. Flair brings Funk back into the ring with a vertical suplex and goes to lock on the figure four, but Terry blocks and rakes Nature Boy's eyes. Hell yeah. 
He attempts a vertical suplex, but Rick reverses into a suplex onto the apron. And you know it's the hardest part of the ring. I mean, but is it harder than the part the of the board? <laughs> yeah. Flares back to chop and finally locks on the figure four. Funk is yelling, no, no, <laughs> never, no, no. Oh my gosh. Yes, I quit. Oh, no, don't quit. Post-match, Gary Hart jumps in the ring and is yelling at Terry. Funk says he's going to shake Flair's hand, and then he does, but Hart with a cheap shot to knock Terry down. Nature Boy starts attacking Hart until Muda and the Dragon Master come into the ring and start attacking Flair. Who's the Dragon Master? He was that bald-headed Asian-looking dude that came into the ring. But we haven't seen him before? Uh, He walked behind Muda and Hart... At oh, Great American Bash. Okay, yeah. They didn't really but say But they anything. never they announced him. Yeah. They were like, we don't know who that is. Yeah, I was like, I, have, I don't know him. Sting then comes running to the ring, hits a stinger splash on the Dragon Master. Rick with a back suplex on Muda. Flair with a figure four. Sting with a scorpion deathlock on the two men. Luger's now at ringside. He grabs a chair, smashes it across the back of Sting. Nature Boy goes after Lex, but Muda grabs the chair and hits Rick with it across the back. Dragon Master, Muda, and Luger are all working over Flair at this point. Hart is hitting Funk with the branding iron. Jesus, it's really chaotic. The rest finally if you reg- can tell. The rest finally regain control to clear the ring of the attackers. And Lex makes his way to the stage where Flair and Sting's trophies that they received earlier in the night are sitting and smashes them with a chair, breaking them into multiple pieces. It's funny. It's really they set it up. Set them up, knock him, Flair Lex will knock him down. Those trophies were like Chekhov's gun. <laughs> JR and Golden Sully review what just happened, say their goodbyes, and the credits roll over the logo. Yeah, and I feel like like you worked through that match pretty quick because like it is not that long, but a lot really does happen, but it is a brawl. It is not. It is not a steamboat like steamboat flare, Luger flare. It's not a technical no, classic, but it is intense. It's great. It's good. So, Michael Temple. Yes, sir. What are your overall thoughts of Clash of the Champions Nine? Well, I wasn't as high on it as some of the other eighty-nine shows that we have watched from NWA WCW. I can understand that, but once I found out that there's like five or six Clash of the Champions, almost a Clash of the Titans, one of my favorite movies, uh, in... The original. The original, yes. Look at that straight. I didn't realize that they were using these as more... I didn't realize there were so many of them. Okay. So I thought that this was going to be more of a, like, end of a feud, like, type of okay. show or I whatever. What but after you explained that to me, like, it kind of put it in a different perspective and, like, talking through the show, there are... Three really great matches and uh, like one fun one, and that's pretty good for a show this short. For seven matches, having four matches that you don't hate. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. No, yeah, it's like yeah. Good. So like the you so know fifty percent. The uh, midnight dudes. Yeah. Midnight dudes, fucking great. Super fun match. Super fun, super great. Kind of like the like perfect version of a cookie cutter tag match you know what i mean like it's not the perfect tag match but if like if you were gonna like be like oh like this is like a great standard tag match they had a match in 1989 
that in 2019 wouldn't feel dated. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is like a blueprint for a like solid tag match, is what I'm saying. Like when I, I guess blueprint is more what I mean than cookie cutter. But like this is, it's special because it's great, but it's not the best that both these guys no, could do to get to together. But it is like it is a beautiful blueprint that doesn't suck. But there's not a whole lot of like tension. It's just really well wrestled. Agreed. I guess it's missing that third element. What about the fifth element? Great, great movie. <laughs> My literal thoughts on this after watching it, I was like. Nothing like like you said. Nothing on this show is technically great, but what it sets up, I am so pumped up for what we're going to see. Well, I know that Starcade's coming up, and I'm like, well, if they fuck up Starcade '89, I might stop watching wrestling. We might have to cancel the show, man, because like all the other NWA, WCW, Starcade stuff, like the year of Flair. It's like, yo, if this if this if Starcade '89 sucks, that is like I'm fucking out, man. That's basically what this Clash of the Champions is meant to do, is to set up what is going to happen at I feel like we've had way too many highs. Like, I can't believe that Flair's had that many great, like, I mean, we end the feuds. we end the, the Funk-Flair feud uh-huh. with this I Quit match. Yeah, which, Easy Quit. Which is a great, which is a great match. Honestly, this is a fantastic match. But it also what sets up the... this Iron Man tournament that they're going to do. Which they talked about, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. Between these four great competitors of Luger, Flair, so Luger, like and Sting, it's like a round robin. Basically, from what I understand, it's going to be a it's yeah it's like a it's a mini G one in one night, where each person will face the other three people basically. In in, in singles matches. In singles matches. Jesus, how long is this show? And then there's also a tag version of it as well. Yeesh. With. The Road Warriors, mm-hmm. the Skyscrapers, the... Dudes and the dudes, Midnight? Or not the, not the Dudes, uh, the Steiners, Steiners and, and the, Doom. Oh, Doom. So they're no Midnight, no no Dudes? No. Uh, I guess they're smaller than the other teams, but still. So you have your big four heavy, heavy weight. I mean, all those guys tanks. are big enough to be yeah. monster singles heels. But knowing that that's what's coming up, like, this show did a good job of... May, all, they all interacted. They all interacted, and it set up those feuds where you want to see each of those people get at each other. Yeah. So the purpose of the show was to set that up. Yeah. It did a great job of doing that. Yeah, not, not like not exactly knowing what I'm getting into. I mean, I heard about the Iron Man thing or whatever, and I know that 89 has been great. And 89 I can't has talk been about how great WCW. 89 has been. Exactly. In the, in the, in the NWA, WCW, I don't know what to call it, so I'm still calling it NWA first and then WCW. I call it WCW and WA. Yeah. It's whatever. It's you can call it whatever you want to. I will. But it ain't... You can call it Turner Wrestling for all I care. Yeah, it is... Well, I mean, it's not Turner Wrestling. They didn't build it, man. They're just backing it. Yeah, the Steiners. Steiners match. Okay, but there's a schmoz. But it was fun enough. I mean, the Steiners uh, skyscrapers match was used as a setup yeah, yeah. for Starcade. At least they let Funk and Flair have their match mm-hmm. before they did the setup, basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, it didn't, didn't end enough. It didn't cause the end of the match. It was no, after the no. match. And like the Steiners one was, was like pretty good, but it did that thing, and that's like or that's like my my like maybe match, but like the uh Midnight's dudes, great, and then Lex Pillman, fucking great. Yeah. Lex Pillman 
Yeah, there's like three matches that I feel like is, are all worth watching. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. Think it's time we smart it up. So best moments of the night for you. Man, I really liked the Pillman's performance. Pillman was was very good. I the thing is, like each all the three matches that I uh, really got something out of were all different, and I got something out of each of them. They're like yeah. they were, you know what I mean? It's like we got our like blueprint, like of a like how a two great tag teams should can and will continue to work against each other. We got a up-and-coming feud between a more established guy, an up-and-coming guy, and uh, it ended in a solid fucked finish that didn't bury the up-and-coming guy. And then we got... I, the- mean, I, think, it, I think it basically showed... They used that match as, a, as kind of a testing ground to see what would the crowd's reaction be if... If they were if, to, if, if they if, were to make Pillman if, if a they champion. were to let Pillman go over yeah yeah because I think obvi- it would be because great. obviously at some point Luger's going to have to come off of the U.S. title belt yeah Sting I mean I guess like the TV belt at this point is kind of up in the air so but Sting is definitely more like looking like but they they moved they moved like Sting and, his... well they moved Sting and Muda to the world. Championship. Well, and Sting, and Sting had already proved himself earlier in the year against Flair, where they had fucking one of the best matches we've watched since well, that was we started all the way the back show. in '88. Oh, was that the end of '88? It was. No, it was April of '88 when that man. happened. So it's been almost a year and a half since. Jesus. Since that match. Well, he proved himself a while ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He probably should have already had that U.S. belt. Well, they put they, they put the TV title on him, which I think was a kind of a. Here's a little something just to tie you over. Tied yeah. you over, because I mean they didn't want to take the the U.S. belt off of Luger because you know why would you Luger's Luger's, Luger's doing killing great. it too. I mean, it's one of the few times when you can say that it was probably a good thing that they had more belts. Yeah, most because in most times in history, you will never hear me say there's too many there ne- belts. there needs to be more belts. Yeah, there always needs to be less belts. Yeah, but I think at this one point. It probably was not. Well, it's also not like thing. earlier NWA where we have shows where there's like belts from other territories and stuff. So like every match is like a belt match. And we're like, what yeah. belt is this? What belt is that? Like the these Western are... States Heritage Championship. Yeah, exactly. And these are all just like NWA belts. So it's fine. You know, they have enough for what they're doing. Anything disappointing on this show? Uh, I mean, I was like a woman's said, promo. It was fine enough. I mean, I once I realized what the show was, I wasn't disappointed in it, but I was kind of, it was kind of like Tommy Rich. To, I think Tommy Rich was better here than he was before. That would be the most surprising thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But he was still disappointing. Yeah, not like books. like I said, this is not the greatest 1989 WCW NWA show. It's better. Does, than, it's better than some other shows that yeah, we've seen. It does have. Three great matches on it, and it that's pretty good for two hours. Yeah, in two hours you got three great matches, and the other ones. I mean, that they got seven matches in th- in two hours is pretty impressive if you think about it. Yeah, totally. With commercial, I mean, I guess it was probably a three-hour show with commercial breaks and everything. Still, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know if there was anything particularly surprising. I just think that it was a really solid show with some highlights. Surprised that Jim Ross gave away the finish to the final two matches. Kind yeah. Of. I mean, like we were saying, like we were saying, like some people probably would have never even thought about that, but. As soon as he said it, I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, you just gave away the finish." Matt's, yeah, Matt notices things better than I do. Like, and also, like maybe I did. Some, yeah, sometimes you just sometimes you just miss it. I mean, maybe not the. I never expected. I mean, I didn't. I, ex- I, never, I, didn't ex- I never expected, expected Rick Flair to say I quit. That's oh, for sure. One, I never expected Pillman to beat Luger. No, I didn't. Never expect Flair to. To lose to Funk either, but it, I also but, I also wasn't necessarily like I was like, well, I know Funk's retired a lot of times. He might say I quit here, but it could have also ended in a but something the, weird. They could have done something weird, but also just the fact that to say that Flair was in that, like you're not gonna you're not going to not have your world champion at Starcade. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like. You're not gonna throw a new star, a new champion into Starcade. Yeah, exactly. So unless he's like, like super over, and Terry Funk is 45 at the time, which that's pretty like you know AJ Styles is like 41, <laughs> like and he still and he still does great. But Terry Funk was never in, in much better shape, shape than, than Terry, Terry Funk, Funk ever was. was. <laughs> exactly. How about best performer of the night? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I'm going Pillman. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. My my immediate reaction is Pillman, but I'm like, well, you can say Flair on any show that Flair is on. It Flair is on in '89, but I'm giving it to Pillman because we just keep seeing Pillman put on a better performance. And like Lex is good, but Pillman is way more versatile than than Lex. And second place for me is Scott Steiner. Yeah, two Frankensteiners, dude. Frankensteiner is such an awesome move. Yeah, Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner was cool. It was fun. But like, I really do think that the story roided out, and, <laughs> and he can't move like three feet without like without buying a Shoney's. <laughs> yeah, like not to say like the, honestly the the Rick and Terry match is pretty incredible, even though it is a brawl. I don't think it's as good as the other singles match they had. No, I don't think so either. But I think for TV, I quit match. And with the amount of time they had, I think they did a really good job. And like, from what we watched, it built up well enough. But I would go, I would definitely go uh, Pillman number one. And last but not least, anything surprising? I mean, I already said that. Yeah. Tommy Rich, that he wasn't as bad as he was the last time. Was <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the Fez press was fine. I was. Uh, it would have been really surprised if he like made a pin. Yeah. But I mean, like. Sting's pleated dress pants with a spike belt. It was pretty surprising. Sting's wardrobe. That, that was definitely surprising. Yeah. Um, how about that vicious punctures a lung? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you told me that, I was like, Jesus Christ. Because, like, Spivey was in there doing all the shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way that most of their men... Because Vicious isn't a great worker. No, he's like, he's like Warrior, except for, like, more reserved, but also... Like somehow His more believable, a lot more vicious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was like, pardon the pun. Yeah, I pardoned you. I knew you didn't mean it that way. But uh, yeah, that was really surprising. The show's a thumbs up, not two thumbs up. Thumbs up, but it's a thumbs up. I'll agree with that. 
it did its job. It's a it's a like I'm half asleep. Thumbs up. I'm like, <sighs> I would watch the show again. Thumbs up. Yeah. And not hate myself. No, no. I'd watch those three matches again. For sure. And now for a look back into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. The world championship was now disputed. After Luthez and Eduard Gar- Carpentier each claimed to be champion, many of the different promotions had to decide who their champion was. Carpentier would end up losing to three other men, Killer Kowalski, Freddie Blassie, and Vern Gagne, over the next few years. Of those three, the loss to Gagne was the most significant. Vern Gagne, born in Minnesota in 1926, would enlist in the Navy. After his time in the armed forces, he would return to the University of Minnesota and capture two NCAA titles. Gagne would start his career in 1949 in Texas, and within a few years was the NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion. In 1958, after Gagne defeated Carpentier, he tried to work things out with the NWA to bring the belt back, but the NWA didn't want Gagne as their champion. So a storyline was put into place that if the NWA champion didn't defend his title versus Gagne, Vern would be recognized as world champion by default in the Minnesota Territory. That match never happened. And by August 1960, his territory left the organization to form the American Wrestling Association. And Vern Gagne was the new AWA world champion. For his accomplishments and considerable works in the wrestling world, Gagne would be inducted into the professional wrestling WCW, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. He has some real, like, fuck you energy. He very much. <laughs> I love it. Energy. Yeah, it's like, damn, this is good. Like, I want to see that. That's a biopic I'd watch, Matt. <laughs> that sounds great. Next week, Survivor Series 1989. <laughs> uh, it's a show. It is a show. It's under three hours. And it's... Hopefully we can do it in under two. Hopefully. <laughs> if we can't, something's very wrong. Yeah. This is a, it's an epitome of a uh, let me get my shit in show. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised if... You could just say that with each time somebody enters the ring. Like, literally, just like, here's the people in the... They get their shit, shit in. in. <laughs> and yeah, and the pin. tag, yeah. Sometimes, I guess you could, slow, like, quicken it up for some quick tag moments. <laughs> the music from this week's show is the theme song from Clash of the Champions. And Ric Flair got the pin in the main event, so... Oh, it's not a pin. He got the submission. He, he, he quitted. He, or he... The, well, he didn't outquit, but he... he uh, the surrender. He, he quitted it. Funk. He was the winner of the match. <laughs> yeah, I know. Funk, Funk said I quit. He said, I quit. <laughs> like that. So, once again, we'll play some Spatch Zarathustra mm-hmm. by Strauss. Of course. If you like us, you want to let us know, or other people know, because... Yeah, just tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Who? Tell, tell your mom. Mo- mom's... Your mom's my... Mom's... Mom's tell, and... Tell your grandma. Grandmas love wrestling. Yeah. And then they just might love this because, show. Because uh, they were old enough to witness violence in the home. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they like the high drama. 
I mean, What's better than General Hospital? General Hospital where people punch each other in the face. Exactly. In fact, even if they don't listen to podcasts, just grab their phone and just like subscribe to our show on iTunes. Who cares? They're not going to listen to it. Maybe they will. But we'll get it downloaded and yeah. it makes us look better. Maybe they'll find our words soothing. It'll be like, <laughs> and it'll be like... Maybe it'll put them to sleep. Yeah. Put the million dollar dream on them with this podcast. <laughs> but you can always go out there to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. Write and review us. You can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, just anything you want to talk to us about. Or you can always find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. Instead of a Y. We'll talk to you next week.